Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Second half of the baseball season is underway. The trade deadline is right around the corner, and BetOnline is the place to stop for all of the baseball action the remainder of July. Head to their website or use your mobile device today to sign up. Use our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome bonus when you sign up. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy Podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is July 21st, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in. However... And whenever it is, you may be listening. We have got a hell of a show today coming up. We have got a Jimmy Garoppolo update after many, many months. I said every memes of the weekend we would have a Jimmy Garoppolo update. Not much was going on during the offseason, so now we officially have a Garoppolo update. And we're going to talk with Ben Beacon. He covers the Minnesota Timberwolves. He's the host of the Locked on Wolves podcast. We had a fun conversation about the Timberwolves, the Rudy Gobert trade, and because it just was practical, we finally get around to covering DeAndre Ayton re-signing with the Phoenix Suns. So heavy NBA analysis coming up later on in the show. Also, episode four of the Fall of the Spurs Dynasty is out. It's yesterday's episode on the podcast feed. I love this episode. You gotta make sure after you listen to this one, After you listen to today's episode, you listen to episode four of the Fall of the Spurs Dynasty. Technically speaking, if you've made it this far, I already get credit for the download, so thank you for that. Please listen to the rest of this show, but if you can only listen to one, listen to the Fall of the Spurs Dynasty episode four that came out yesterday. It is a passion project of mine that took pretty much all of my day on Tuesday to make a good chunk of Sunday a good part of the day on Monday. Uh, We wrote the script last Friday, so we've been crazy people for the last uh, week as it comes to the Spurs Dynasty pod. This one was an hour and a half. It's by far the longest episode of the series, and I'm so, so stoked that it's finally out. Uh, There's links in the description to this episode if you want to subscribe to the individual feeds for the spall, the the fall of the Spurs dynasty, the spall, uh, the fall of the Spurs dynasty. It has its own podcast feeds. Download here, download there, download everywhere, so that we can continue to support our dreams. Uh, before we continue, actually, I, I forgot to mention this off the top. This is 990 episodes of the Take It Easy podcast. We have been recording an episode every single day, Monday through Friday, for the past three years. Never missed a day. We have wired up on Sundays. I think we're now at like 120 something, 121 wired ups. Wired up will probably come back once college football season rolls around or we get a Friday news dump with the Deshaun Watson suspension. But Wired Up has about 121 episodes. It goes into the podcast feed. If you take all of those together, our Monday through Friday shows, our memes of the weekend, our interviews, our guests, our Wired Ups, our wacky our, our wacky segments like we're going to do in the A block here today. If you take all of that together and dump it out, it is 990 episodes worth of the Take It Easy podcast. So if I'm doing my calculation right, it uh, looks like next uh, next Thursday 
is going to, or two Thursdays from now, is going to be our 1,000th episode. So it looks like August 4th is going to be the lucky day for 1,000 episodes of the Take It Easy podcast. I am very excited about that. So all kinds of fun stuff going on around here. And uh, to kick off this show today, let us cue up this music because it's our longest running segment, not just on the Take It Easy podcast, going all the way back to the earliest, earliest days of comical sports memes. The Instagram account that I made on my, well, I guess my brother made it, but I ran on my iPad as a freshman in high school And now I am a 21-year-old working at a radio station and doing all this wacky sports media stuff and pursuing dreams. Uh, But This is now six years running, the oldest segment that has existed in in this incarnation of making sports content. The preseason Hall of Fame was originally a joke to prove the point that preseason performances means absolutely nothing in regards to a player's future success. It started out as a summer league joke. It continued into the NFL over the past five years. Well, uh, I guess now six years we've uh, inducted. Now it will be 20. This year will be our sixth induction class. We did the 2016 class, 2017, 2018, 2019, no class in 2020. All the preseasons got canceled for the pandemic and then picked up for 2021 with a special double Hall of Fame class for 2021. This year, we are going to go back to the standard model of induction, which, if you don't know, we have three preseason Hall of Famers from the NBA Summer League, and we have two preseason Hall of Famers from the NFL preseason. So it's a lot harder bar to hit for induction into the preseason Hall of Fame class in the NFL than it is in the NBA Summer League. We have our three inductees this year needing a to, needing enshrinement into an illustrious class that means absolutely nothing in terms of what their future careers will project. Uh, just before we proceed with the induction ceremony, just a, a taste of what I mean by this. Uh, the 2016 Hall of Fame induction class included... Kyle Anderson, Tyus Jones, and Denzel Valentine. Now, Kyle Anderson and Tyus Jones are still in the NBA. Both of them ended up on the Grizzlies last year, despite the fact that neither of them won the preseason Hall of Fame as a member of the Grizzlies. There's a shit ton of Grizzlies in the preseason Hall of Fame, too. I just want to throw that out there, because Brandon Clark was in the 2019 Hall of Fame class. There's There's a shit ton of Memphis Grizzlies in there. There's a shit ton of Los Angeles Lakers. Um, For example, the next year's uh, preseason Hall of Fame class was Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma, Dennis Smith Jr. Obviously, wildly sporadic careers for all of those players. Zero All-Stars between the first two preseason Hall of Fame induction classes. Uh, You could go to 2018. It's Josh Hart from the Lakers, John Collins from the Hawks, who I think if we're going through the list so far, John Collins is probably the best player who's been inducted into the preseason Hall of Fame, and Kevin Knox coming in in that class as well. He's turned out to be a certified bust, as has Dennis Smith Jr. All the New York Knicks turn out to be certified busts. Like Dennis Smith Jr., Kevin Knox, those guys end up being the certified busts. Then we have Carson Edwards, who, you know, college uh, college basketball hero turned summer league MVP Carson Edwards. He's no longer in the NBA. He's in the G League right now. Uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who last I checked was on the the Portland Trailblazers. I'm not sure if he's still on the Portland Trailblazers, but uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Oh, he's on the Utah Jazz now. Okay. Yeah, he was drafted by the Pelicans, moved to the Blazers, then moved to the Jazz. So you got Nikhil Alexander-Walker in the class, Brandon Clark. Last year you had Bull Bull. Remember the magical Bull Bull Summer League run? Uh, Davion Mitchell for the Kings, Obi Toppin, Peyton Pritchard. So yeah, no, the, the star players don't usually end up shining out in uh, NBA Summer League, but uh, the best one we could, the the best preseason Hall of Fame inductees would be uh, if, if we're going down the list, it would be John Collins, Kyle Kuzma, then uh, 
I don't know who's after that. I guess it's Lonzo if we're really picking if, if we're really picking one there because everyone else is a journeyman or a backup or out of the league by this point. But that's the whole point of the preseason Hall of Fame. It began as a hypothesis that preseason games do not have any sort of record, have no basis for who's actually going to be good in the sport. It's just meant as a contrivance to drive interest in the sport. By the way, a, tr- a contrivance that at the time when I was a child, I really, really liked watching the preseason. I really, really liked watching the summer league. As time went on, I started to rethink that and gain new perspective and realize I'd rather go do exercise or read a book or hang out with people who give me love and support all these wonderful things instead of watching summer league basketball in the middle of july it's a wild thought but it's something that i've rethought as i've gotten older but this year we have a three-man hall of fame class that hopefully at least for one of them hopefully will end up breaking the trend of players who end up just being journeymen and end up going out of the sport very very quickly uh, also, I forgot to mention Obi Toppin is also a preseason Hall of Famer. So anytime it's a New York Knicks, just assume it's going to be trash. They're going to dominate the Summer League and going to be trash after that. Uh, the New York Knicks played in the Summer League Championship this year too. So the Knicks had a good Summer League team again. Just let's assume that the New York Knicks are not are going to dominate Summer There's two teams that dominate Summer League. It's the Sacramento Kings and it's the New York Knicks which is never a great sign for either of those teams. Uh, We also have a new uh, dynasty joining the mix, who's now played in three Summer League championships, and one of their players will be inducted this year. So without further ado, now that we've done all of the uh, rambling to set up the joke, our twice-a-year, once-a-year joke about the preseason Hall of Fame, let us induct our new three-man Hall of Fame class of 2022, induction members 30, 31, and 32 into the preseason Hall of Fame. All right, everybody. Our first inductee into the 2022 preseason Hall of Fame class is our standard star player who dominated the preseason like it was college basketball. This player did not come without their question marks. When he was drafted, people thought it was a classic Sacramento Kings being Sacramento Kings moment. And yet, while averaging 26 points per game and winning the Summer League MVP as the only real lottery pick who played significant minutes of the Summer League because the Sacramento Kings just live for dominating Summer Leagues, it is my distinct honor to induct Keegan Murray into the pre-season Hall of Fame class of 2022 following a long line of Sacramento Kings greats who came before him such as Davion Mitchell class of 2021 and 2013 Summer League champion Sacramento Kings and that one Summer League where Jimmer Fredette just started going absolutely berserk. Keegan Murray, welcome to the preseason Hall of Fame class of 2022. Our second inductee into the 2022 preseason Hall of Fame class was 2021's biggest snub. Last year, we had an extensive class of five members, and this person was number six. All year, sometimes there are players whose name I just know belongs in the preseason Hall of Fame, and I remember them as preseason Hall of Famers, and I have to wait a year for them to get in. This especially happens in football because I can only induct one member per year. So Harold Landry, preseason Hall of Famer, it took him two full years to get inducted until he made the class of 2019. Brian Burns, 
the edge rusher for the Panthers, it took him three full years before he got induction into the preseason Hall of Fame. Every year he just kept getting snubbed by someone a little bit better. And this is a classic case of that player who had to wait a long time to hear his name called on the preseason Hall of Fame class. But with a second consecutive Summer League first team addition, Cam Thomas of the Brooklyn Nets has earned his place among, well, not so much immortals, but immortals on this weird podcast. He is an official 2022 preseason Hall of Famer. Congratulations, Cam. It took you a long while to get here, but you deserve your place on this shitty PowerPoint document of which I've recorded all the preseason Hall of Famers. A well-earned place for Brooklyn Nets Cam Thomas preseason Hall of Fame class of 2022. Our final inductee for the Basketball Summer League preseason Hall of Fame class comes from a player whom I first learned of when he was making buzzer beater layups to advance to the Sweet 16 of the March Madness Tournament. Now, this instinctively would be someone who you think of is Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole famously hit a buzzer beater in a Sweet 16 and then years later just happened to emerge as a sharpshooter on the Warriors. But no, this is a different player hitting buzzer beaters to advance to Sweet 16s who then magically re-emerged in the NBA. Really like three years later, too. Last year, he spent time in the G League. He signed a two-way contract with the Portland Trailblazers, and once the Portland Trailblazers started tanking their season, he made his way onto the roster and into the starting lineup. With a magical... 19-point performance to carry the now dynastic Portland Trailblazers to their first Summer League title after making the championship game in 2017 and 2018 and having a long line of players come before him without getting inducted into the preseason Hall of Fame class. It is my honor to welcome the first member of the Portland Trailblazers preseason Hall of Fame class, which in hindsight, we probably should have put this guy over a bunch of those New York Knicks like Dennis Smith Jr. and Kevin Knox and Obi Toppin. Please welcome preseason Hall of Fame second teamer and championship game MVP Trenton Watford to the preseason Hall of Fame class of 2022. This is our preseason Hall of Fame class of 2022. Congratulations to Keegan Murray, Cam Thomas, and Trenton Watford for their enshrinement into this meaningless, fun little activity that we put together every July and every August ever since I was 15 years old. Thank you, and we will be back in September for the enshrinement of two more football players into the pre-season Hall of Fame class of 2022. Garoppolo drops back to throw. You're gonna lose the game. The seasons come and seasons go. The Niners need a change. If you don't throw check downs, you're gonna take a sack. Jimmy G is warming up. Yeah, he's your quarterback. No!
don't throw it. Interceptions drive us all insane. Phones are calling. Ron Rivera wants to make a trade. If a rookie QB isn't in your plans, just call San Francisco up. They got your quarterback. They say he's smart, and he wins games. That don't mean a thing. If since week one, Trey Lance had played, the 49ers would have had a ring. If your team's rebuilding, talent's what you lack. Trade two picks for Jimmy G. Now he's your quarterback. All right, so the Jimmy Garoppolo news that allows us to play that amazing parody song that we made back in February, thinking it would only be relevant for about a month, maybe two, but is now relevant for like seven months. We've been able to play it like 25 times, getting good use out of that three hours of work we made to put that sound together. We have Jimmy Garoppolo news that is four months old, but when Adam Schefter tweets it, everyone wants to talk about it because uh, Matt Mayochi, Mayoko, Mayoko, Matt Mayoko of NBC Sports Bay Area reported in March the 49ers granted Garoppolo and his representation permission to seek a trade. The problem was Jimmy Garoppolo was having shoulder surgery, and so Jimmy Garoppolo was not at anyone's backing whim for a trade. He'll be cleared to play sometime in August, which means he won't get a chance to win a starting job, and the 49ers will ultimately just keep Garoppolo as a $24 million backup. Which is interesting because the news that Jimmy Garoppolo will be cleared sometime in mid-August is actually the news that allows us to just have an excuse to play that wonderful sound. That's the news, not the Adam Schefter news that Jimmy Garoppolo has received permission to seek a trade because that's been news for four and a half months. It's just Schefter reiterating the news there. It's just at this point, there might be some traction because people are like, hey, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be healthy. Training camps are starting. Someone's got to trade for Garoppolo. And that's just not going to happen because no one's going to pay $24 million for that expensive of a backup. And Jimmy Garoppolo is like the 21st best quarterback in the NFL or like in that quarterback purgatory range. And people always are weird when I say quarterbacks 18 through 21 are quarterback purgatory. And that's the case because there are about seven teams that are actively choosing to play quarterbacks that are not right now better than Jimmy Garoppolo. A lot of them with good reason, like the Texans, you're tanking. Play Davis Mills, go for a top pick, you'll end up with a Bryce Young or a C.J. Stroud. Panthers, same, well, the Panthers now have Baker Mayfield, but like previously the Panthers were like, we're actively tanking, we don't need Jimmy Garoppolo. Then they got stupid and got Baker Mayfield, which is going to be like a $5 million backup for them. But yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo wouldn't have fit there. Atlanta's just going Marcus Mariota because they're tanking this season. Uh, Seattle Seahawks are going Geno Smith because they're tanking this season. Um, There are other teams that would rather have a rookie quarterback than have Jimmy Garoppolo on their team. So, for example, the Steelers with Kenny Pickett would rather have him than Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, Even when they signed Trubisky, Trubisky was just a cheaper option than Garoppolo, giving you roughly the same production. Trubisky's like in that fringe quarterback tier that Jimmy Garoppolo is about to fall into as soon as he ends up uh, as as soon as he ends up getting his one last hurrah as a starter, he'll fall into that Jameis Winston, Mitchell Trubisky, Teddy Bridgewater fringe starter, but really good backup territory. And it's really interesting how that ends up working out for Baker Mayfield, who's quarterback purgatory, Tannehill, who used to be quarterback purgatory, and is now probably a tier three quarterback than was never as. Well, now he's a tier four quarterback, so Tannehill's like, right, Tannehill's just hanging out on uh, avoiding quarterback purgatory. He made a weird Pro Bowl one year. Tannehill had three really good years with the Titans, and now he's 
the the problem in Tennessee. I mean, there's other problems in Tennessee, but he's one of the problems in Tennessee and the reason that they're not going to be better than the Colts next year. It's interesting because no one's arguing Jimmy Garofalo is like a backup quarterback in the NFL. He's just in quarterback purgatory, and it's just bad luck this year that you have the Jaguars want uh trevor lawrence when they'd be a perfect under normal circumstances they'd be a perfect team to trade for jimmy garoppolo jaguars want a rookie jets want a rookie bears want a rookie lions want jared goff who's also in quarterback purgatory or fringe quarterback territory whatever you want to call it um you know the the uh patriots have a rookie quarterback the steel well, we mentioned the Steelers earlier. Like five, six teams want to try uh, the Dolphins. Five, six teams want to try rookie quarterbacks, and five teams want to tank. So if you take away those ten starting jobs, it means there's 22 starting quarterbacks. That uh, t- the best 22 quarterbacks filled the other 22 starting jobs, and that means Jimmy Garoppolo is on the chopping block because he's like quarterback 21 or 22 at this point. So it was just his turn in the cycle to fall from being the 15th best quarterback in the NFL. And think about it this way also. When when Jimmy Garoppolo took the Niners to the Super Bowl, most people thought he was like a tier three quarterback. He's like, he's as good as like Derek Carr, or he's as good as Ryan Tannehill was that year, or he's as good as Matthew Stafford or Kirk Cousins. And he was quarterback 15. He didn't get any better. I mean, maybe you could argue he got worse, but let's just say for the sake of the argument, Jimmy Garoppolo stayed exactly the same over the last two years, suffered an injury, but recovered relatively nicely from that injury. What basically happened was like Matthew Stafford got a better team, and so we look more fondly upon him. Kyler Murray entered the league. Joe Burrow entered the league. Justin Herbert entered the league. Uh, Baker May- well, Baker Mayfield was already in the league, but Josh Allen took the next step. Like five quarterbacks elevated themselves to tier one and tier two. And it went from like the tier three guys are now the quarterback purgatory guys because none of them have elevated their game. Even Derek Carr's gotten better over the last couple of years, which is interesting too. And it's like Garoppolo just slides on down to quarterback purgatory. And all of a sudden it's like, Super Bowl quarterback, tier three guy, worth $25 million a year to nobody wants you. Nobody wants you. And that's a really, really interesting place because Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't gotten so bad that it's like he went from being Derek Carr to now he's Drew Locke, who, I again, Drew Locke doesn't belong in the NFL. But it's not like he, he's that. It's like the, the drop-off is like six spots at quarterback. It's like he didn't his game barely changed at all. And Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, they, they all just entered the league and got better than, than Jimmy Garoppolo. And all of a sudden, that's how thin the margin is of, hey, there's only 32 of these openings. Ten teams every year are going to either pick a rookie who's not going to be good or take a backup while they try and get a rookie quarterback. And that means there's basically 22 starting jobs. And if you're at 16, the, the line between 16 and 22 is razor thin. And uh, that goes from Jimmy Garoppolo being guy making $25 million a year to guy who the Niners trade three first-round picks to get Trey Lance and tried to trade him in the, the number three pick in the draft for Aaron Rodgers. And now they are the team who is moving off of him and you know have been sitting in purgatory for six months waiting for a uh, Jimmy Garoppolo trade to break out. So that's the news of the day. He's going to get cleared sometime in mid-August. So the Niners are looking around like, hey, anyone want a quarterback? And uh, nada, not a single person is interested. So with that being said, let us welcome Ben Beacon onto the show for the first time. Again, Locked on Wolves podcast. The link to his Twitter and the podcast is in the description to this episode. Also links to the Fall of the Spurs Dynasty are in this episode and the Red Rain podcast and the Slump Buster YouTube and all of the stuff that we're doing on the uh, well, Take It Easy podcast and my made-up production company, CKSAML Productions. Also, if you want to hear me do live radio in Sacramento, I, I don't know how I don't have a link to that, but just Google Sacktown Sports 1140 on YouTube. I know none of you will probably do that, but just want to throw that out there. If you want to hear me doing live radio for the first time, check out Sacktown Sports 1140 on YouTube. So with that being said, I know we started plugging our stuff, but again, Ben Beacon, he's the Locked on Wolves podcast. And since we're talking Timberwolves for part of the conversation with him and talking to a Timberwolves analyst, let's play our one. I mean, my I think it's the best like quality one we've ever done. Our parody song 
of the Minnesota Timberwolves to the uh, song The Man by The Killers. So I'm excited to play that. Hopefully Ben is listening to this and immediately regretting his decision to join this podcast. Antler jaw score. The ball slipped out his hand. Cat and them boys. They won't give a damn. They cheer playing games. Like they just won the crown. Nothing can bring, can bring Minnesota down. The Ant-Man drives down. D, D-Lo's got a kick, D-Lo's got a kick, get out. The Ant-Man's 21 and no, no, nothing can break. You can't break him down. 12 years in the tank, bed flops like a plank. We got news for you, baby, and Edwards is the man. Two years in the game, and he's a household name. We got news for you, baby, and Edwards is the man. When it comes to Wiggins, they never learned. And then Jimmy Butler left all the kids burned. The only way they get talent is the top of the draft. Torian Prince and Malik Bees Lee, the Ant Man's 21. No, no, nothing can break. You can't break him down. 12 years in the tank. Bev flops like a plank. Got news for you, baby, and Edwards is the man. Cat's shot, make it rain. GM's affairs in the way. Got news for you, baby, and Edwards is the man. The Ant-Man, the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man. Who's the man with the plan? The Ant-Man. The Ant-Man, the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man. Who's the man with the plan? The Ant-Man. The Ant-Man. The Ant-Man Twelve years in the tank Bev flops like a plank Got news for you baby and Edwards is the man Fifteen years away I'm headed to the Hall of Fame Got news for you baby And Edwards is the man All right. Joining us here today on the Take It Easy podcast is Ben Beacon. He hosts the Locked On Timberwolves podcast. We love the Timberwolves here. My favorite moment of the season was when they won the play-in game and started throwing jerseys and kissing babies and oh, mine set, too. jumping up on tables. <laughs> my, mine too. It was, it was, that was That was the highlight of the season, right? Yeah, that was, I mean, I don't even root for them like as a team. It was my highlight of the season because I, I grew up rooting for the loser Laker teams. I grew up in San Diego, so I rooted for the Padres. I live in Sacramento now, so I root for the Kings. I love when when teams who are losers get to have moments of celebration like that. It's it's It was my by far my favorite moment of the season. So. Well, yeah. Well, thanks for having me. And, and and honestly, you know, Kyle, I think if you talk about the worst franchise in professional sports, I believe the Timberwolves certainly headed into the season, had the worst winning percentage of any team in North American pro sports. Um, and it's it's pretty incredible. I mean, two playoff or one playoff, I guess, two playoff series wins in the same year in the entire franchise's history, which is like 32 years now. So pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's 32 years. You have basically three playoff appearances and very yep. few times where you're actually eliminating someone. So I think you're right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, and I, the the obviously the Kevin Garnett years were were great. They made the playoffs almost every year, but they got out of the first round once. And then of course the Jimmy Butler year, and and then since then this was the only time. And so you know, play in or no play in, I think Timberwolves fans will take it. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. And that's kind of a cool element, I guess, we add to the play-in tournament is that you get a chance to eliminate someone without, you know, winning a, a full playoff series. Yes. So 
it's a cool like third ever elimination of a team by the by the Timberwolves in their franchise's history. Yeah, I, li- I like that. We'll, we'll take that. Yeah, third time they've uh, eliminated someone. So yeah, he does great stuff with the Timberwolves. Uh, we've got T Wolf stuff. Also, DeAndre Ayton is now back in Phoenix, which I guess is the big news of the last day that I haven't had a chance to cover. So, did you have any thoughts on DeAndre Ayton going back to Phoenix? Yeah, I mean, not probably nothing groundbreaking. I mean, it's it's not surprising he ended up getting as much money as he did. I, I know it was a record-breaking offer sheet. It's not a surprise that Phoenix matched it. Um, I was a little surprised Indiana was the team that offered it to him, given how big their front court still is. And um, But, you know, I, I think it's easy to forget about, it shouldn't be, but it's easy to forget about the Suns. They were in the finals two years ago, but because of the way their season ended, I think people are, you know, obviously, rightfully so, talking about the Warriors and, and talking about how Denver is going to be back with their guys with Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. getting healthy and talking about, you know, what what could the Lakers do? And obviously the Timberwolves getting a lot better with the acquisition of Rudy Gobert. But the Suns are going to be, you know, I don't know. I don't know that they're going to be as good as they were two years ago, but, you know, why not? I mean, I think they'll they'll probably have a better finish to, you, to the year than they did this year. So they're not going anywhere um, in, in, in what's really a stacked Western Conference. It was just a weird saga to get there because it was like we we spent a year saying we weren't going to pay Rudy Gobert the or uh, DeAndre Ayton the max yeah and then you know they ended up going through all the trouble burning yep. the relationship with him and giving him the max anyways yeah absolutely I, because that was the whole thing was hey yeah we're not going to do this we're going to find something you know but then they end up matching it anyway so it's it is a weird way to go about it and I and I don't really know what to make of the Suns long term with obviously Chris Paul's age and some of the other fringe moves there that they had to make around the roster that they still need to make. Um, and, but yeah, uh, I think, I think that it makes sense that he's back with Phoenix. It's just, who knows, who knows what that looks like this year and how content he and, and the, you know, the, the team around him is. Well, the conclusion I draw from it is that Phoenix is going to probably be the same core of the team that it's been the last three years. I know Kevin Durant wandering in the shadows is always a, a thing. And if he wants to play for Phoenix, it increases Phoenix's chances, but it it feels like Phoenix is going to have the same core of the team. And like you said, they're like Mm -hmm. the fourth or the fifth best team in the West. And their goal is to make it to the second round. And that seems to kind of be the, the, the group that they're residing in right now is they're going to run it back with the same team. And the Warriors got better and the Nuggets are getting better and the Clippers are getting better. And Memphis, uh, Memphis is kind of the same team, but People could argue Memphis was better than mm. Phoenix last year. So yeah. it they're pretty much going to be like fifth in the West with the same core. Yeah, it won. And, and I, I forgot to mention Memphis. And then you had good take those six teams and, and argue. I, I think we listed six teams j- just a minute ago. Like, you know, what order are they going to be in? You could you could argue almost any order uh, because, I mean, Phoenix was it's it's crazy that we've already forgotten this or at least. Um, it seems like it that Phoenix was the number one seed, right? I mean, like they were the number one seed. They won 64 games. They were the consensus best team in the league all year. And it's going to be effectively the same team, obviously a year older, but uh, at least in the case of Chris Paul. And then you have, um, I mean, you have, like we said, Memphis, Golden State uh, doing what they did this year. And, and um, you know, Dallas still being there and Denver getting healthy and the Clippers getting healthy. The Western Conference, like one through six or seven is just completely like ridiculously stacked and there's only two or three teams in the East. Um, I guess maybe four, if you include Philadelphia that are even in that conversation for, you know, you take the top 10 or 12 teams in the league. I, I would say like two thirds of them are in the Western conference. And then you can keep dipping lower to new Orleans and Portland. Yeah. And uh, well, I guess then you get to around Minnesota territory is also in that group. Cause Minnesota obviously just brought in Rudy Gobert. So mm-hmm you know, all of those teams are fighting and, you know, one or two of them are going to have to miss the playoffs. And yeah. I'm up here in Sacramento and I'm looking at it like, Ooh, Sacramento is one injury away from possibly getting into the play in round. Yeah. And that's kind of like, that's 11 teams that are like realistically in the mix in the Western oh, conference yeah. and all of them close to each other. Well, and Portland getting Dame back healthy too. I don't, you know, I don't think a whole lot about their roster, but I mean, Houston and Oklahoma City are probably the only teams that you would come into the season saying, yeah, they're not going to be in the playoffs. Everybody else has at least a shouting, you know, is within shouting distance. I guess San Antonio and Utah are selling off, but yeah, Yeah. kind of the the same idea there. Yeah. But yeah, for sure, Houston, OKC are not good enough. San Antonio just, you know, tore it all down and Utah's one more trade away from dumping Mm -hmm. it all. But yeah, that's 12 teams that could, should, would be in the playoffs and Sure, there's 10 play in spots, but we think of it more as like those teams 
making an actual playoff series and getting seven games against, you know, insert the six teams we just mentioned above. <laughs> yeah. And the San Antonio point is a good one. I mean, San Antonio was in the play in last year is the, the 10 seed, I guess. And, and uh, so between them and Utah, if you figure they're both going to fall out, um, then I guess there is some room. Obviously you, you could expect the Lakers to be a little bit better. You could, I, I don't know that we can expect the Kings to get better, but they, they certainly could get better this mm-hmm. year. And then uh, obviously the Pelicans. So, yeah, I mean, it, you could look at a pretty similar top 10, um, maybe add the Lakers and, um, and I don't know, maybe Portland, um, you know, the Pelicans obviously were in that top 10. So, but I think the Clippers are also gonna be a lot better too with health for Paul George and Kawhi Leonard um, there. I mean, a lot of people are talking about them as a top four team in the West. So we'll see. So how do you feel about Minnesota coming out of giving up three rotational players and four picks and the 23 pick in last year's draft? How are you feeling about Minnesota at this point? Because what I've argued is that that was a move they make for 2024 is that this next year is going to be a lot of growing pains and figuring out how they all work together. And then 2024 is going to be the best version of the Timberwolves. Um, What do you make about what they did with trading for Rudy Gobert? Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. And and I I think I think in an honest moment, the Timberwolves would probably agree with that, but they obviously would never stay it on the heels of trading effectively five first round picks. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's probably fair. It's going to take a minute for, for this team to gel with as many new guys are going to be in the rotation. Um, another thing to cons- another way to look at it though, on the flip side, actually both the points you just made. So the first one regarding giving up three rotation guys, et cetera. The flip side of that is they didn't give up any of their best four players. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, they gave up a starter in Jared Vanderbilt. Yes, they well two, I guess, in Patrick Beverly and Jared Vanderbilt. But you you could easily argue that, and maybe not last year in a vacuum, you wouldn't say Jaden McDaniels was a top four player, but he's certainly a top four player in terms of asset value and upside. Um, so you still have Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, Jaden McDaniels, and D'Angelo Russell. So yeah, the depth took a little bit of a hit, um, and obviously giving up all the picks, but. Uh, you're keeping your top four guys and you're adding a top 20, 25 player in Rudy Gobert. And then the other, the other piece of it in terms of, are they going to gel this year um, or will it take an extra year? Um, The team didn't change that much from, from the year prior to last year. Yes, they got a lot better, but that was a lot of that was internal improvement, improved coaching, Anthony Edwards getting a lot better, generally staying healthy. The roster didn't have much turnover at all last offseason. Patrick Beverly and Torian Prince were the only new players on the team from the year prior. And so you're still only swapping out, you know, it's it's not nothing to swap out, you know, three, four rotation guys. But the core of the team has now been in place for a couple of seasons. And, you know, I, I, I think the bet in Minnesota among the front office and the coaching staff is that it won't take quite as long to gel, uh, certainly not offensively, because the Wolves have basically been playing Carl Anthony Towns as a four anyway on offense. I mean, he doesn't he, he doesn't play like a most guys, most power forwards that Towns has been paired with have played effectively. They've functionally been fives anyway. You go back to Taj Gibson and Gorgie Jang and, and more recently Jared Vanderbilt. I mean, he didn't have range outside the paint either. So um, offensively, I don't think a whole lot's going to change. The question is, can they pick up all these different defensive schemes that they're now able to do? Will they be effective enough defensively uh, immediately? And what's interesting about the depth part is that you're right, that they gave up, you know, their fifth, sixth, seventh best players on the team in terms of value. And they were able to just immediately replenish the depth, which is something that usually doesn't happen in Minnesota because they immediately signed Kyle Anderson and signed Austin Rivers. And that's, you know, free agent moves that normally don't happen in Minnesota, but you slide them in and you still have Torian Prince and a Kogi. And it's like, yeah, they can kind of replenish the depth pretty easily. So it's not even that much of a loss. The only real loss is all the draft picks, which is pretty much just the asking price for Rudy Gobert. It's just giving up all the draft picks. Yes. Yes. And um, obviously that's, and that's the rightfully, that's what everybody's making a big deal about is just how many picks they gave up to do this. And uh, it's a ton. I mean, obviously if it, if it doesn't work, they're in big trouble in the future, but I mean, they're at the very least going to be a really good regular season team. And then you get into the tournament, you give yourself a shot. I think the playing Gobert off the floor thing has been over, overstated um you know a lot of that's due to the lack of perimeter defense in utah i mean donovan mitchell wasn't guarding anybody in the playoffs uh jordan clarkson has never really guarded anybody like you you look older mike conley is not what he was a few years ago they just were not good on the perimeter and gobert was being asked to both uh, guard the ball and then contest shots in the corner and with the wolves 
the Wolves are right. I mean, Anthony Edwards is actually a pretty good on-ball defender. The knockout, one of the knocks on him coming into the league was he wasn't great defensively. I think we're seeing now that was more because he was just kind of bored in college. And he also doesn't really have the experience level to be really good off the ball. He still struggles sometimes off the ball, but he's really good on the ball. I mean, he's a better perimeter defender, I would argue, than anyone on the Utah Jazz roster last year. So um, I, I think Anthony Edwards defensively, obviously Jaden McDaniels, um, and then some other guys that are pretty decent on the ball as well. Torian Prince is good. Kyle Anderson's a very good defender. Uh, D'Angelo Russell at least has made the effort the last couple of years to improve. He's got some size. So I think if the Wolves perimeter defense is, if it's just better than Utah's, and then you add in some other good kind of team defenders like a Jaden McDaniels or a Torian Prince, you've got the makings of easily a top 10 defense. I mean, Utah was a top 10 defense and they didn't have any perimeter defenders. So um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think the depth is actually pretty good. One through 12, they've got guys who have all now with the addition of Austin Rivers. Everyone's been a, a rotation member on a playoff team. Uh, they've got a really deep roster. Um, and I think when people are kind of making their predictions in September and looking through rosters, you know, people that don't, don't follow the Wolves are going to be surprised to, to be like, oh, I know most of those names. And these guys have all been successful on playoff teams. This team's going to be pretty good. The starting lineup is great, but the depth is pretty solid, too. Do you think that offensively, Carl Anthony Towns is going to be moved more to the perimeter than he would have been in the past as more of like a traditional four now or even playing like as a really large three? Do you think that's kind of the role they're moving towards for Towns? I, I think so. I, I I don't know that it'll change that. I mean, he did a lot of that last year anyway. The Wolves did a lot more kind of five out. And the answer to teams guarding Towns with a, with a four, and the Jazz were actually the first team to do that with Gobert because they knew Towns could beat go bear off the dribble um, and get him into foul trouble, et cetera. So they, the, the jazz started guarding towns with a four and plenty of other teams did that as well. And so one of the wolves answers to that was to put towns on the perimeter and face up, because if you put a five on him, he'll obviously blow past him. If you put a four on him, he can likely still blow past them or just shoot threes over them if they don't come up far enough. And so I think they'll do more of the five out stuff. Obviously with Gobert on the floor, it's, you know, he's probably playing in the dunker spot in that scenario. And, um, but they'll do a lot of pick and roll. I could even see them doing some big, big pick and roll with Towns ball handling and Gobert setting the screen. We all know he's a great screener and Towns is a pretty good decision maker with the ball in his hands um, and is really good down, going downhill with really anybody guarding him because he could beat slower, slower footed players. He can overpower smaller players. Um, and so I, I think the offensive playbook is just that much more open for the Wolves. Um, like I said before, they've they traditionally don't play anybody. They don't, they don't play a four next to towns who can really stretch the floor anyways. I mean, they had a half season with Dario Saric in that role. They had Nemanja Bielitsa for a little while doing that, but primarily you're talking fours that didn't stretch the floor and functionally were fives. You know, Taj Gibson had a mid range jumper and that was about it. Um, and, and the offense has generally been good. So I think it just opens up the playbook because Gobert is such a good screener. He's such a good, so good at diving to the rim. Um, towns is not a roller. He's a popper. And so you could have, Towns popping and Gobert rolling, D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards are going to have plenty of options at their disposal when it comes to uh, you know decision making in the half court offense and and um, you know how dynamic this team should be in the half court. Do you think that the new offense opening up will be better for Anthony Edwards' game, or is it just going to be Anthony Edwards will look better because he's 22 years old and 22 years old, 22 year old players are still very much developing at this point? What do you think that's going to look like next year? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, we saw his growth last year during the year. A couple of his dips in production were just as much due to um, some injury issues. He had a, a sore knee at one point. He had a sore ankle at another point. Um, and you could kind of draw a line right after those injuries. He just didn't play great for a couple of weeks and then he'd bounce back. So I think it's certainly a lot of it is he's just simply improving and his game's getting better. He's getting a better jumper. Teams are realizing they have to let him shoot those deep threes because they'd rather do that than have him getting downhill on them. Um, but I also think having more offensive options um, will will allow him the space to be better. Um, and it, it is going to be a bit a bit tricky to try and you know, have enough ball to go around for Towns and Anthony Edwards, but those guys are both top score, top level scorers in the NBA. And D'Angelo Russell is such a good passer. As long as they're empowering him to do the right thing and D'Angelo Russell plays nice and understands that his role is to be the straw that serves the drink, um, then then he'll be a really nice kind of third score for this team. And Gobert can kind of, you know, do everything else, fill in the gaps. Um, so yeah, I, I think ultimately Anthony Edwards is going to have something of a breakout year. We we saw that trajectory last year. And this is probably that all-star, that first all-star season for him um, and and playing with so many other good scores and just overall good players, um, having a guy like Rudy Gobert to help 
you defensively. So you're not expending quite as much effort on the defensive end of the floor, having him there to clean up your misses on the offensive glass. That's going to go a long way for team success. But I think also for the confidence level of, of a guy like Anthony Edwards as well. Not that, not that he needs the confidence boost, but um, I think it'll certainly help over the course of a long season. That's kind of where my thinking was as well. Cause what it feels like this move signals is that the direction of the team is based around Edwards being the number one offensive option at this yeah. point, because by clearing out towns in the middle and having him be more of a primary ball handler, it's going to lead to more of Anthony Edwards being the person they want. You know, when you need a shot, Edwards is the guy taking a shot. That feels like the direction that the, the T wolves are moving in, which is interesting because of how young Anthony Edwards is. And, uh, you know, obviously for years it was built around towns and now it's kind of moved towards build around Edwards on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Chris Finch likes to, I mean, Chris Finch was in new Orleans when they had Anthony Davis and DeMarcus cousins for that brief period of time. He was in Denver early in Nikola Jokic's career when he was there with Yusuf Nurkic, he was essentially their offensive coordinator. He, uh, and when he coached back in his days in Europe, he had plenty of teams where he had his best players were bigs and he's known to be creative with bigs. And he did that with Carl Anthony Towns last year. Towns, as the year went on, he had less and less low post touches. He was getting more kind of mid post free throw line extended touches. And they were running the offense through him. Not obviously in the same way, not he's not anywhere near the passer that Jokic is. Towns is a good passer. Jokic is, is next level. Um, but trying to use him in a similar way, obviously Towns is a better shooter. So you could put him in the mid post and, and Towns is so good at, at a step back. He could be in the, in the, in the high post or, or the mid post to take a dribbled step back and shoot a, a really difficult step back three that you can't block. And he makes 40 plus percent of the time. Um, and, and then he's also good enough passer that he can, you know, he can hit cutters, you know, uh, going down the baseline or cutting down the middle of the paint. He can throw skip passes to the opposite corner. And sometimes he gets a little too fancy and, and makes mistakes there. But I think they want to start by running the offense through him. And then Anthony Edwards can do everything anyway. He really is a three-level scorer. He can operate with the ball in his hands. Dribble handoff action with Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards is almost indefensible. Um, and if you could run everything through Towns and Edwards can play off of him, then when Towns is off the floor and you, you could run an Anthony Edwards, Rudy Gobert pick and roll, and that's going to be really hard to defend, um, especially if you've got athletes like Jaden McDaniels, you know, diving from the corner or cutting from the perimeter. Um, there's there's a lot of options for this team, and, and Edwards and Towns are going to be obviously the top two offensive options. And in a perfect world, everything flows through Towns to start with, and then Edwards can kind of work off of that. And as he gets better as a player and more experienced, he's going to understand all the different ways that Towns can make his life easier offensively. Ben Beacon is the host of the Locked on Wolves podcast, and you can check that out wherever you get podcasts. Also, if you're listening to this on the, the main podcast feed, there's a link in the description of this episode. It's got his Twitter account. Check that out as well. Thank you for the time today, and thank you for talking about our adopted, beloved Minnesota Timberwolves here on the podcast. Absolutely. Appreciate it, Kyle.